Welcome back to the Las Casas Community Church Podcast. Now, whether you're listening to this on a Friday morning or a Saturday, maybe Sunday, I can ensure you this, there's nothing like a Wednesday night Bible study at LCC. I hope you enjoy the podcast. So, um, what is that thing that he's blowing? Shofar. A shofar. And uh, I have two of them. If you want to try to blow them, oh, feel free. It's not easy. <laughs> this one I got in Bethlehem. Um, and so it was fun bringing it back because uh, got through Israeli airport, fine, because they knew what it was. Got to JFK airport, they were like red flagging us. Okay, what is that? <laughs> you know. And, and it wasn't as finished. Uh, Rob put some shellac on it. it. They stink because they really are like ram's horns, okay? Um, and they have smell. Uh, you know they're authentic. <laughs> um, that and then this one, uh, we got polished like this. Um, it doesn't quite smell as bad because they varnished the inside too, <laughs> you know? But um, this is not the kind that they actually blow though a lot of times in Israel. This one is kind of known as a Yemenite uh, shofar. Um, and then that's what they've got in the picture because they're the, the more flamboyant, you know, of the uh, shofars. But, okay, so I put three names up here. Uh, we know the Feast of Trumpets is what the Bible actually calls this feast. It is one of the feast days that God came up with. They are God's feast, right? I don't have notes, so yeah. Um, you will find the, the list that God gave in Leviticus 23. And the Jewish people, they still practice them, and a lot of times people will say, oh, they're the Jewish feast. Well, no. They're God's feast. He came up with them. They're his timetable. And the thing about it is the word there for feast is the Hebrew word moadim. And I'll show you how to spell that. Now, all three of those names are the same thing? Uh-huh. They're all the same day. And you're going to see a lot more because it has lots of aliases. But moadim. And any word in Hebrew that has em on the end or oat, we know that's just plural, right? And so if it's one feast day, it's Moed. If it's more than one, it's Moedim. And so another understanding of this is, yes, it's feasts. That's how they translate it. But it really means appointments. It's appointed times and places for God to meet with his people. Now, how many know, uh, how many feasts are there? Seven. Seven. Mm-hmm. And how are they uh, grouped? Spring and fall. Spring and fall. Right. What are the, uh, well, you know what? Let me just run into it. So I put in here Yom Teruah and Rosh Hashanah. We'll get to what that means in a little bit. 
got to turn it on. That would help, wouldn't it? Okay, here is a breakdown of the feast. And if you'll notice, they have the first month and they have three. And they're all right in a row, right? You have Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, 50 days later, because Penta is Greek for 50. That's all it means. God calls it the Feast of Weeks. And then the Jewish people call it Shavuot. Um, and then you have months through, this is the summer months, and you get to the fall. And you have them all right in a row. Boom, boom, boom. Just like in the spring. And uh, so we're about to look at Jesus, when he came the first time, he fulfilled the spring feast to the detail. I mean, completely fulfilled it. So the fall feast had not yet been fulfilled. They will be because, you know what, Hebrews 13.5, or no, I'm sorry, Hebrews 13.8 is what it is. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if he did it to the detail the first time, is he going to do it again the second time? Yes. Yes. This is 13.8. 13.8. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's look at this. So in Passover, this is a picture in Samaria, in Israel, they still sacrifice at Passover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a picture of, you know, that's how they would do it. They would do it. There was It was kosher the way they did it. So they would do it at the neck. Um, that would drain all the blood out because they couldn't eat the meat, excuse me, that had uh, blood in it because the life is in the blood, right? Um, and so the first Passover, if you'll remember what Moses told the people because God had told him, when you go, tell the people to take a lamb or goat. Uh, there had to be 10 people to a family. There, and if there was more than that, then they had to get another animal, right? Couldn't break any of the bones. And so they got the blood, and they used a hyssop branch, and they put it on the uh, door side and on the lintel, so on the top. Mm-hmm. It was all foreshadowed. Every bit foreshadowed. And so the reason why it's called Passover is because when the death angel was coming through at the tenth plague, he would see the blood on the door and he would pass over them and not touch their household, right? All right, and so Jesus, he is that Passover lamb. We talked about that even a few weeks ago, how he was born in Migdal later, and he is all of that, and right? he's also the door. And he's the door. He is everything, right? <laughs> all right, and then this is a picture of a Passover Seder. A Seder, how many of y'all have ever been to a Seder? Okay. We did one like here. We did well, that wasn't a real one. <laughs> yeah, we did like Hainesville years ago. 
but it, it probably was a little longer ago. Okay. Anyway, it's been a long time. Seder just means order. And so it has certain things that they put on the plate, and they all have symbolic meaning. And then they have a Haggadah. And the Haggadah, it just is the telling of the story. And so it's a meal, it's a uh, experience for the people so that they remember the Exodus story. And for us as believers, what Jesus did. All right, so the Feast of Unleavened Bread is like the next day or like just a few days after. Uh, it's in, this is from the Seder. This is what they call the Ethicament. And the Ephikamen is like matzah bread, right? Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, why do you think they call it that? There's not leaven. There's no yeast, right? Because one of the things that they're supposed to do is clean out all the yeast from their house. I mean, it's like this big to-do. And what does yeast represent? Sin. Sin. Because remember, Jesus, even in one of his parables, was talking about how a little bit of yeast leavens the whole uh, loaf, you know, and how a little bit of sin does the same. And he was speaking in languages that the Jewish people would understand because this was a ritual they did every year because it was an appointment, right? So all the rest of the year they had yeast in the house. Yeah, they did. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, at Pentecost, it was a big deal. You had leavened loaves and you waved them before the Lord. So yeah, they did. This was the only time of year and they cleaned out everything. That's why we have spring cleaning. It originated from cleaning all the yeast out. That's why. Um, that's what this guy is doing. He is performing a uh, seder, and so he is taking the afikamen, um, the cracker. That's basically what we look at it as. Uh, it is unleavened. It's flat. It's striped. It's pierced. Um, it is a picture of who? Jesus. Jesus, yes. And so what he's doing here, in the middle of the Seder, then they will take a linen cloth and wrap the afikament and hide it somewhere. And then later, the children will look for it. It's like a game. And they will uh, try to find it. So when they put it, <laughs> what anyway, We'll see if that messes with it or not. But <laughs> um, when it does, when they hide the afikamen, it's like Jesus being put in the tomb. He's hidden away. Now, when the feast of the first feast of unleavened bread occurred, it was the next day after Passover. So in Egypt, the death angel had come over, um, had passed over them because of the blood on the door. What were all the Egyptian people doing? if they had not put blood on their door. Burying their firstborn son. So this day, Jesus was the Passover lamb. God the Father was burying his firstborn son on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was the fulfillment of the feast, right? Okay. Okay, so I need to. Yeah, hey, you know what? This is interactive. So, do they do this before Jesus? And then? Yes. Mm -hmm. They did. 
What did you say Passover was representing? Like this is like him going into the tomb. Yes, Jesus' death. Okay. He died and right. at the exact, exact same time, time. yes, that the national uh, sacrifice was being killed. And you know what the priest would say when he was uh, he'd sacrificed and sacrificed? He said, it is finished. Exactly when Jesus was saying it. Yeah. Okay, so the Feast of First Fruits. This was uh, three days later. This Becoman was found. He's brought out, right? Uh, that's the day that Jesus was resurre resurrected from the dead. Uh, one of the things that happened on First Fruits, it was the time of the barley harvest, and uh, it was where you were beginning to get some wheat because that would be coming 50 days later. But uh, the thing is, is the priest had a field that they would tie string around uh, the promising uh, crop. And then they would take special care of that and they would offer it to the Lord. Well, that's what Jesus did. Jesus had his special crop that he had dedicated to the Lord. And that was his disciples. Right? And so... It was on that same day, according to John chapter 20, where Jesus shows up uh, behind locked doors and he says to the disciples, he first he breathes on them and then he says, receive Holy Spirit, right? Mm -hmm. And so the word for receive is lumbano, which means take hold of, seize with all your mind and do not let go. But it has an air of immediacy. Do it right now. So he's not breathing on them and telling them receive the Holy Spirit and wait 50 days. Right? No. <laughs> he's saying do it right now. And so at this point, that's when he started explaining the scriptures to them so they could understand it. All right. Of course, at that moment, they had Holy Spirit within them, within. who breathed on them, who is the revealer of secrets. Exactly. So he could speak plainly to them. Finally. And, but the thing is, is, you don't see any of the disciples go out and do any miracles. <clears throat> that wasn't until Pentecost, 50 days later, right? And so that's what this is. If you had the old covenant written on tablets of stone that came on Pentecost, um, and then the New Covenant written on the heart. Uh, the Holy Spirit was given. And if you want to know what was given, Holy Spirit was given on the Feast of First Fruits, right? To be within them. What happened at Pentecost? Well, what Jesus says is, uh, my power, my dunamis will come upon you, right? Dunamis is the Greek word where we get dynamite. It means dynamic, miracle-working power, right? And so that came on them, and from that point, they started speaking in tongues. They started doing uh, miracles. 3,000 people were killed on this day. 3,000 people were saved on this day. It's a complete fulfillment. All right, any questions so far? Definitely. Yeah. Have you actually translated what's on the tablet to see how accurate it is? No, but you know what? We do know this is pictograph, right? Can y'all read that? No, I see Yeah. Uh, there's a hay. Huh? There's a hay. There's a chet. 
right? Yeah. That's a dollar. Um, yeah. That's a sheen. And a lamin. <laughs> and there's a salmon. Yeah. What did you How many people died? 3,000. 3,000 died uh, on the first Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, and the 3,000 were saved on the fulfillment. And at this point, Jesus had ascended. Now, one one thing that I didn't put in here is there had a 50-day countdown, and they called that the counting of the Omer. And so every day they were counting it down and they were saying, okay, it's this many days until Pentecost, until Shavuot. Um, And so when Jesus said to them, not many days from now, you know, then you're going to stay in Jerusalem because um, I'm losing the words completely. It's in Acts chapter one. Um, so there was an expectation yes. culturally they that knew. the 50th day of the counting of the over that they would and receive they were waiting for a the gift, gift of the Father. From yes. the Father, yes. Exactly. And so that's what this was. So and they would have known. They would have known, yes. There was Passover, mm-hmm. Feast of Unleavened Bread, mm-hmm. Feast of Fresh Fruits. Mm-hmm. Then the Feast of Weeks. Uh, this is called the Feast of Weeks, also Pentecost. Or Shavuot, if you want to call it what the Jewish people call it. So uh, 50 days later, the Lombano and the Old Covenant, New Covenant, all that's the Pentecost and Feast Well, the Lombano came with the Feast of First Fruits. <laughs> <laughs> that's in John chapter 20. So they received the Holy Spirit. Uh-huh. John in, 20, in which is the Feast of First Fruits. And, and which Jesus had told them beforehand, before he went to the cross, you know, Holy Spirit has been with you, but will be in you. Yes. In he, the, was, he was foretelling about yes. the, the point where he would breathe on them. Yes. You know, and then so they already have Holy Spirit in them 50 days before he came on them. And so what did power. he do? He taught them. And you know where he taught them? Look at the last few verses of Luke. And it'll tell you where he taught them, which also gives us a big indicator of where Pentecost actually happened. It was not in the upper room. The last few chapters, of, I mean, sorry, chapters, verses of Luke. Um, I think the last chapter, which is what, what 22, 23? Uh-huh. Read it out loud. And Jesus led them to Bethany, and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So they worshipped him, and then returned to Jerusalem, filled with great joy. And they spent all of their time in the temple. Where? In the temple. So they weren't afraid anymore. Right? They weren't behind locked doors anymore. And so at the ascension, they were going to the temple and praying all the time. Right? And so one of the things that you have to understand is Passover and Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles. Those are the three feasts that are pilgrimage feasts, meaning all of the Jewish men were required by law to go to the temple. Now, if you look at Acts chapter 2, it tells you Um, You know, they're there, they're praying in tongues, you know, Peter's preaching and they think he's drunk. And he tells you what time it is. He says, oh, 
Uh, why would I be drunk? It's nine o'clock in the morning. Okay, that's the time of the morning uh, service, the morning sacrifice. So all the Jewish men were required to be in the temple, and they would have called it God's house. So where it talks about, and the house was full, right? And he came and he filled the house. That's nothing unusual to say of the temple. So he came to the temple because he was keeping his appointment with his people. Amen? So when they're counting, counting down the 50 days now, expecting a gift, what did they think it was? If they didn't know. Because see, the first time, that's when Moses went up and got the, the tablets of stone. You know, and he met with God. So they would just think it was something somewhere? Yeah. Okay. And you know what? We're kind of in the same boat. Yeah. When we come to the fall feast, we may have a clue. But do we really know? God is reserved. He is not reserved to our boxes. Right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so let's move into this is what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about Rosh Hashanah, Yom Teruel the Feast of Trumpets, and it's end-time fulfillment in Jesus, right? It's a fun one. <laughs> All right, uh, so I'm not going to go just way far into that one. The next, after that, uh, let's see, Rosh Hashanah is um, on the 1st of Tishri. On the 10th of Tishri is Yom Kippur, which is also the Day of Atonement. It's the only day out of the entire year that the high priest was able to go into the Holy of Holies and to meet with God, right? So really big deal. And then finally, five days after Yom Kippur is the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot. And so uh, I've been to Israel twice when they had Sukkot. And it was interesting because you see these all over the place. They're boots. Like how most people live in mountains. Well, but they live in little tiny apartments. And so they have like little, uh, little balconies. And, and I'm talking not even as big as that table balcony, okay? Yeah. And they've got little booths <laughs> out on it. All right, so let's start Rosh Hashanah. Are you ready? Ready. You need to blow the trumpet. Yeah, you know what? Y'all can y'all can feel free to try. Uh huh. And that's the seven feasts. Well, I missed one. Okay, what are you what are you missing? I've got Passover. Oh, the horn. Oh gosh. <laughs> hey, can I tell a quick story? Sure. Okay. So I was thinking about this today, and I, and I, I just want to share it. So Brother Ben, I met at uh, the food bank gatherings at the, the Baptist Church over there. I was speaking one day over there, and a lady came up, dragging him behind her afterwards, put his hand in mine and said, this is, this is Brother Ben. He needs to talk to you. I was like, okay. So we talked. Ben wound up accepting Jesus. And uh, and so a couple of months later, it was one month later, Ben comes to me and he says, 
hey, I feel kind of silly asking you to do this, but but could you could you bless my whistle? I said, what? What are you talking about? I said, tell me about your whistle. He pulled out a little wooden train whistle like you get a crack barrel, and he said, uh, he said, you know, I don't know why, but whenever I pray, I just feel like I'm supposed to blow this. And I looked at him. I said, I said, Ben, I, I just love you. You're so genuine. <laughs> I said, I'll tell you what, what that train whistle is for you right now, it's your shofar. Explain to him what a shofar was. And I said, Holy Spirit is leading you to do that. I can tell. I said, yes, I'll ask the Lord to bless your train whistle, but I'm going to actually ask him to graduate you to an authentic shofar. And he said, he smiled. He said, okay, you know. So we were done. Before I got to the next month where I'd see him again, I was sitting eating lunch and uh, at work, you know, after work. And, uh, and the Lord showed me a picture of Ben blowing a trumpet. Now, he'd never told me that he knew how to play a trumpet. I found out later he used to play the trumpet. Oh, wow. So I saw him playing a trumpet, and the Lord said to me, he said, I want you to buy Ben an authentic shofar. So I did, you know, wound up giving it to him in a, in a, in a beautifully wrapped package, like a gift from the Lord, you know used it as an object lesson, you know, in, in the message that day, and then presented it to him at the end. Mm. Ben, he kept that shofar in that present box, all wrapped up like that. He, he never changed where he put it, but he carried that thing everywhere. He would go to the park and blow it because it was odd, and people would ask him questions about it and would give him a chance to tell him about Jesus who saved him. Mm. You know? So... I don't know. It just reminds me of Ben. He's gone on home now. You know. Um, but it reminds me of, of Ben and uh and and the Lord graduating him to an authentic shofar. He eventually uh moved to another area and uh the church that he served there, um, he would uh blow his shofar every Sunday uh for them. Aww. Yeah. Awesome. So anyway. Yeah. The Holy Spirit is 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 beautiful, and uh, and will will uh, touch you in the process of touching other people deeply. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amen. All right. So there are many things that happened on Yom Teruah. Yom Teruah. Uh, actually, the Jewish people, and actually, Scripture calls it this too, Yom Teruah which is um, the day of shouting, uh, the day of the awakening blast, Yom Teruah. According to Jewish tradition, Jewish tradition believes that this day is the birthday of the world because the first part of Genesis, which they call Bereshit, in the beginning, uh, when changed around, reads Aleph B uh, Tishri. So the first of Tishri, right? So that's what they look at it as, on the first of Tishri. Uh, therefore, the Feast of Trumpet is known as the birthday of the world. The theme of remembered is thought to be from God, remembering Sarah and Hannah. A Talmudic dictum says that on Yom Teruah, Sarah, Rachel, and Hannah were remembered, and so they conceived. In fact, according to Jewish tradition, all of these things happened on the Feast of Trumpets. 
through time because it's an appointment date, right? God shows up multiple times, not just one time. So Adam and Eve were created. Uh, the floodwaters dried up. Enoch was taken by God. Sarah, Rachel, and Hannah was uh, conceived. Joseph was freed from prison by Pharaoh. The forced labor of Hebrews in Egypt ended. Job contracted leprosy. You would think that would be a good one. But, <laughs> and so the start of the sacrifices on the altar built by Ezra, which was a really big deal for them. <coughs> um, because the earth was thought to be created on Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish calendar moves up a year at this time. On September 15th of this year, the Jewish calendar marked the earth being 5,784 years old. However, some years are known to have been lost, making us ever so much closer to the end of the sixth millennium. This is a big deal since it's also common Jewish thought that at the end of the sixth day, the earth as we know it will end. And in the seventh day, God will again rule and rest just as he created the earth. With yeah. creation. How many years is it they think that they've lost two, 200 and what? About 230. So, <laughs> yeah, we're right there. Yeah. yeah, but do we really know? No, we don't know. Nobody knows. So this goes back to Psalm 90, verse 4, which Moses gave this prayer. Um, it's Wait, for, and those are lunar years. That's a lunar calendar. Lunar calendar, yes. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah, not, not our calendar. No. So, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday, when it is past, and like a watch in the night. Well, then this concept is in Second Peter, it says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. So, it's also on the day of Yom Teruah that the Jewish people believed that Isaac was to be offered by Abraham. So on Yom Teruah, the Jews will read the account of this in Genesis 22. In this account, Abraham took his yachid, the Hebrew word meaning an only one, a precious life, to be sacrificed. This is the same word equivalent of God's description of Jesus as his only begotten son in John 3.16. In fact, the entire passage foreshadows Jesus. He is pictured in Isaac, the Yahid, son, to be sacrificed in the land of Moriah, later to become the city of Jerusalem. Abraham was like the father in anguish about giving up his son, but nevertheless deciding to obey his plan. Yet the major difference is that Abraham got to keep his son and instead sacrifice a ram caught in the thicket by his horns for his convenience. So that's kind of where the ram's horn comes in to the whole thing. No, there's so much right there. I know. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's massive. Uh -huh. Yeah. We we actually studied that not long ago in, uh, when we talked about Abraham. It was good. Genesis 22. But the father had to surrender his Yahid son for the redemption of mankind. Remembering that God caused a ram to be sacrificed instead of Abraham's only son, Isaac, the trumpet or shofar, is carved out of a ram's horn and has come to symbolize God's mercy. 
Thereby, they blow the ram's horn to remind God of his mercy in hopes that he will show it again on their behalf. So, so one thing that's interesting, um, you know, this is a picture of a love covenant, right, that Abram had with God, became Abraham because God, who had everything to offer, came to Abram who had nothing to give in return, but just to receive what was being offered. So a love covenant wouldn't actually require him to sacrifice his son in reality, but he was willing to. The love covenant, the stronger would offer his son. You know, And what we don't see in the picture is the understanding that was going on in Abraham's head in that scenario because he knew more than we're reading. Oh, very. He had to have, yeah. you know. So I just, you know, I think about that. A love covenant would never have allowed him to actually sacrifice his own son. The stronger would have offered and given. Yeah. You know, and on top of that, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. You can just, you know. But on top of that, the reality that that there was a narrative being painted, okay, there was a foreshadow being painted. Can, can you know? Yes, God stands outside of time. He made time. He stands outside of time, so He sees the the beginning from the end. All right, but at the same time. God had to give us a choice, and to give all of us a choice, he had to give Abram a choice to become Abraham, Then he had to give Abraham a choice to, to choose to give up his son in that way for the Lord, trusting that the Lord raised him back up because of what God said, I'll make of you, you know, a great nation. So the, the, the reality that all throughout human history, in the painting of the narrative that led to Christ, God has taken more risk than anybody could ever imagine, than we would ever understand, because he had to give us the option to choose everyone all along the way, painting the picture, you know. And did everybody always follow the narrative exactly? No, they didn't, but they didn't mess it up. You know, I'm sorry. Rabbit trail, go ahead. <laughs> oh, we're all about rabbit trails, aren't we? <laughs> all right. So this feast, being the Feast of Trumpets, is described in Numbers 29.1. And in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a holy convocation. Now, this is word like, what? Convocation? What is that? Because you don't ever read that anywhere else. But what it means is a dress rehearsal. In Hebrew, a convocation is a dress rehearsal. So it's in here on the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a holy dress rehearsal, right? You shall do no customary work. For you, it is a day, yom, of blowing, teruah, uh, the trumpet. So teruah, according to Strong's, means an acclamation of joy or a battle cry, especially a clangor of trumpets, blow an alarm, rejoicing, jubilee, shouting. 
Sometimes they even call it the day of shouting. So Yom Teruah. All of these words become important when understanding the holy day of Yom Teruah. As we go on, you'll start recognizing these words and phrases throughout scripture and understanding it a bit more as you read from now on. Okay, so I see the ram's horn there, mm -hmm. but obviously these are not. That's the kind that they actually blow in Israel more, more like. Right. Mm -hmm. So much smaller. Yeah, but that's, that's a horn of repentance. Well, there are different kinds of horns, but what you'll see most of the time when you're in Israel and they're blowing them is one like that. So you also see that Yom Teruah has many aliases, okay, uh, to the Jewish people. Some of these names we'll cover. It's the day and the hour that no one knows. Hmm. Where have we heard that one? <laughs> we'll get to it. <laughs> the long day. It's the day of the awakening blast. <laughs> it's the wedding of the Messiah. It is the day of judgment or the opening of the books, the opening of the gates. Big picture. Mm -hmm. Big picture. <laughs> it's the hidden day. Uh, it's the coronation of the Messiah. So just as a spring feast, the Jews rehearsed Jesus' crucifixion, death, resurrection, and giving of Holy Spirit with the new covenant. Let's see how, this should be how, um, or now, I don't know, what the Jews rehearsed on Yom Teruah. So the day and the hour that no one knows, and the long day. Hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> Somebody read uh, Matthew 24, 36 through 51. And what's the context of Matthew 24? It's end times. Uh, not quite a parable. It's where they're looking, the disciples are looking at the temple and they're like, oh, it's so beautiful. And then Jesus says, yeah, it won't be long and not one stone will be left on another. It'll be destroyed. 36 through 51. <clears throat> Or his little ways. Thirty-six fifty-one. Okay. Concerning that day and exact hour, no one knows when it will arrive. Okay. So right. what was that phrase? <laughs> the day and the hour that no one knows. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Not even the angels of heaven, only the Father knows. For it will be like it was in the days of Noah when the Son of Man appears. Before the flood, people lived their lives, eating, drinking, marrying, and having children. They didn't realize the end was near until Noah entered the ark, and then suddenly. The flood came and took them all away in judgment. It will happen the same way when the Son of Man appears. At that time, two men will be working on the farm. One will be taken away in judgment, the other left. Two women will be grinding grain. One will be taken away in judgment, the other left. This is why you must stay alert, because no one knows the day your Lord will come. But realize this, if a homeowner had known what time of night the burglar would come to rob his house, he would have been alert and ready and not let his house be robbed. So always be ready, alert, and prepared because at an hour when you're not expecting him, the Son of Man will come. What, <clears throat> what would qualify a servant to manage his master's house? He would be a wise servant who is both faithful and dependable. The master would commission him to oversee others. 
for he would lead them well and give them food at the right time. What joy and blessing will come to that faithful servant when the master comes home to find him serving with excellence. I can promise you the master will raise him up and put him in charge of all that he owns. But the evil servant says in his heart, my master delays in his coming, and who knows when he will return. And because of the delay, the servant mistreats those in his master's household. Instead of caring for the one he was appointed to serve, he abuses the other servants and begins to party with drunkards. Let me tell you what will happen to him. His master will suddenly return unexpectedly, and he will remove the abusive, selfish servant from his position of trust. And the master will cut him in two and assign him to the place of great sorrow and anguish, along with all the other hypocrites. Okay. All right. So the thing about that, that passage, is it sounds very much like the rapture, but it is actually not. Um, what it is talking about is the second coming. So let's think about it like this. It 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 used Noah. As an example, it, it, Jesus says it will be like as in the days of Noah, right? Mm-hmm. Noah is a foreshadow. So let's think about the foreshadow of Noah. Who was Noah's um, no great-grandfather? Methuselah was his grandfather. No. Who was Methuselah's dad? Enoch. Uh huh. What happened to Enoch? He was raptured. He was translated. He was taken because he pleased God, according to Hebrews 11. Um, according to Genesis 5, it says he walked with God and he was no more, for God took him. Right? So he never died. He was raptured, is what you could say. Right? Um, Okay, so there's the foreshadow of the rapture happening when? Before the worldwide tribulation? During or at the end? Before. Before, right? Okay, then you have Noah and his family, right? Remember we've talked about Noah, he was the protector of the seed or the seed protector, right? He had grace in the eyes of the Lord. Um, He and his family were carried through the tribulation, right? Well, then at the end of it, what happened to all of the uh, non-believers? They died. They, they perished during the flood, right? So look at it like this. At the end of the tribulation period, which is a worldwide tribulation, right? Uh, at the end, Then when Jesus returns, then those who are like um, two men at the mill, one will be taken and the other one left. Uh, The ones that are left are believers and ones that are taken are not. And they're taken on to judgment where he's going through and he is taking all the believers and they're going through the millennial time period with Jesus. So (laughs) after the rapture. This is well after the rapture, yes. And, and so the people that are converted after the rapture, 
then they they will continue. Yes. Okay, I see what you're saying. Okay, so let's look at it like this. Let me rein that back. Okay, yes, I get what you're saying. All right, so let's look at the rapture. I know I've had people tell me before, okay, that is just like so cruel of God that he's taking these and then leaving those others, right? And I say, oh, no, that's the biggest grace and mercy, compassion ever. Because what is happening is you have all of these people who are taken and all these people who are left. It would have been fair of God. To come one time and let everybody go where they're going. Would that be fair? Because that's what they decided. But he doesn't do that. He comes and he takes out all the believers and all the ones that are left. They're like, oh, that was for real. Yeah. You know, and so, you know what? There's going to be this huge revival right after, right? And so then at that point, um, they will live through the tribulation period. Um, we're about to talk about that too, because this is part of this day. Um, there will be many that will die during the tribulation period, and they will die a martyr's death, right? Mm-hmm. That's what scriptures say. But there will also be many who will live through it. God always has a remnant. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and we'll talk about actually in this day where they go, a lot of them. Now, it won't be just those, but um, the thing is, is it's the believers. And let me give you this. When you're looking at end time things, it is just as important to understand why something is happening as it is to understand what is happening. Because God is really working on the why. Um, why does he have the millennium? What is the reason for the millennium? Grace. It's the grace. Redemption. Hmm? It is redemption. But there is a reason, okay, he could, at the millennium, what it is, is Jesus will reign for a thousand years. He will come to be the king of the earth, Right? And he will rule over those who are still living on the earth after the tribulation period. They will repopulate the earth just like with Noah. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And so they will um, continue. They, it will go back to the long age times uh, where a young man will die at 100, you know, according to Isaiah 66. Um The reason why for the millennium is to prove to mankind again (laughs) that they are desperately in need of a savior because they start the millennium with only believers. The the enemy, Satan, and he's locked away for the entire thousand years. So they don't have the enemy. They can't blame him. Yeah. Um, They have they have the greatest uh, king that could, they could ever have, the greatest ruler. They have Jesus, <laughs> right? And still, at the end of the thousand years, there will be a final rebellion again. And it will be squished. Uh, the thing is, is I think it's interesting, at the end of Revelation, there's one sentence. God puts it down. 
That's it, basically. And that's it. <laughs> no, you know. Be in that millennium? We no, because we will be raptured. Uh, where actually, according to scripture, what it says is where we will go is to the New Jerusalem. Oh yeah. And that's where we live. Okay. Yeah, and the thing about the New Jerusalem that's interesting <laughs> is that the doors are always open, you know, so we could go, but nothing evil can come in. Praise God. Yeah. So anyway, that's a whole other, but let's go back to this. Mark 13 basically says about the same thing as Matthew 24. All right, so the day of the awakening blast. That guy, if you notice, his, his veins are popping out on his head because, you know what, shofars are hard to blow. <laughs> uh. Oh, let me go back one more thing. The day and the hour that no one knows, why is it called that? It is, um, it is a common understanding in Jewish understanding to know that the day and the hour that no one knows is Rosh Hashanah. It would be like if we said, oh, well, I'm coming on Turkey Day. You would know I'm most likely talking about Thanksgiving, right? In our culture, their culture, the day and the hour that no one knows uh, is because it's the only feast day that occurs on the first of a month. And so on a lunar calendar, they knew when to change the calendar because they would view a new moon and they had to have at least two witnesses that would say yes i saw the new moon okay sound the alarm rosh hashanah has begun they had people looking for the new moon on mountaintops mm -hmm. many mountaintops away so they could signal from mountaintop to mountaintop to tell them they did yeah. they did on our calendars though when the new moon's coming out no well, see but they didn't have that right they didn't yeah but you have more than one new moon a year Oh, you have one every yeah, month, every new month, yes. But what they were looking for is it had to be the first day of the second month. Yeah. So. They they would see the moon. Yes. And the reason why it's called the long day is because, especially when they had the diaspora where all the Jews scattered, right, after 70 AD, then they needed to have the mountaintop to mountaintop communication because they didn't have phones or uh, email or anything like that. So from mountaintop to mountaintop, they would light fires so that the uh, message would go across. And so they gave it an extra day. So they called it the long day for that reason. So they could deliver the message. That it was Rosh Hashanah. That it was Rosh Hashanah and had begun. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, teacher lady. <laughs> so, so God is a pattern keeping God. He is extremely a pattern keeping God. Yes. So he's a pattern keeping God. Um, you know, we have a record and a pattern of him fulfilling the feasts. Mm -hmm. You know. So um you That's could crazy. you could say <laughs> that one year on this feast, mm -hmm. that's when the rapture is going to take place or when Jesus comes back, you know, okay. And you could still obey the word, you know, that says it's the day and the hour that no man knows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I just, uh -huh. I just couldn't, you know, I had to make that statement. Yeah. And the thing is, is do we really know? No. You know, I mean, so still we don't know. But it, yeah. <laughs> we we don't know. Didn't happen this year. No. <laughs> and how many years are they that. missing before we realize they got to six thousand? Yeah, I, and that's it too. We don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I so, yeah. When most people hear Rosh Hashanah or the Feast of Trumpets, they automatically think of the trumpets and their call, and that is correct. The call of the shofar was used by the Jewish people for a variety of reasons. It was a signal during time of war. It was blown at the beginning of a jubilee year. It was blown in the coronation service of a new king. It was an alarm or warning of danger. It's a sign of the regathering of dispersed Israel. It will announce the Messiah in the rapture. It will signal the arrival of Messiah for the final war. So it's going to announce the him in the rapture? Mm -hmm. like oh, yeah. I thought it would just be like, oh, oh no, 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 we're, we're going to look at it. Yeah. There's so much to this day. <laughs> it's like, wow. Okay, so. It really could happen on this day. Oh, on, on Rosh Hashanah? Yes. Oh, yeah, very much so. Okay. Yeah. So here's where the rapture of the church does have some credence with Yom Teruah. There are three trumpets that have a name. You have the first trump, the last trump, and the great trump, right? Each has a specific day in the year. The first trump is associated with Pentecost. The last trump is associated with Rosh Hashanah. And the great trump is associated with Yom uh, Kippur. So that lets us know what trumpets are for what days. On the Feast of Trumpets, the shofar is blown 100 times. Wow. So that's a lot. Throughout the day, there were three sounds made with the shofar, and they are as follows. The tekiah, one long straight blast, shevarim, three shorter blasts, and teruah, nine quick blasts in short succession. This series is blown 11 times for a total of 99 blasts, and the final blast is known as the last trump. So, because we don't know what that sounds like, um, this guy is going to demonstrate. <laughs> and I have to actually start this one because it doesn't just go. The following one is four traditional shofar blasts. The first one is the pekia, which is a long blast. The shevarim, which is three broken blasts. The terua, which is the alarming sound that the enemy is approaching. And the Tekia Agadola, which is the last one long sound blast that increments. Thank you. Good job. <laughs> yeah. 
right. So that's what they sound like. Now, let's look at some scriptures that talk about this. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 53, it says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. And this is a euphemism for death, okay? We won't all die. But we shall all be changed in a moment. That's the atomus. That's a, that meaning in Greek is a word that um, it's an undividable amount of time. It's so quick. You can't divide that time. So in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. So what day is associated with that again? That would be Rosh Hashanah, at the last trump, right? For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Right? All right. So here's another. The Feast of Trumpets also is called the Day of the Awakening Blast. We see this clearly in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Again, we're talking about dying, that people who have died. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive shall be, and that's the word, caught up. Right, right? Together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. All right, in verse 17 where it says caught up, harpazo. that is harpazo. Yeah. That is, um, and I'll, I'll give that to you, harpazo. Is that Greek? Or it is Greek. And it literally usually is translated caught up. And the thing about it is how it got to be called the rapture was because when it was translated into Latin, it kind of stuck because the Latin word is rapturo, right? And so you also will never find the word millennium in there because it also came from the Latin translation. So... Um, you will find the thousand-year reign, but that is the same thing. Does anybody have any questions about that? What does that mean? Uh, you know what? I don't know. I have not looked it up in Hebrew. <laughs> but uh, caught up means uh, to be snatched up, uh, to to be taken. Yeah. To be seized. Okay. It might sound silly. Oh, there are no silly questions. <laughs> nope. When it says the dead in Christ will rise first, does mm -hmm. that mean the people? So I'm confused on if they, like, people have passed away last year or something. Did they not go to heaven already? Well, they do. If they do? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. God, God actually rejoins them with a reborn body, renewed mm -hmm. body. So they get to be whole again at that point. So when Jesus comes back, 
when this when the rapture takes place, you know, they're actually coming with also the, joining with the body and then they go too. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they come back with Jesus. Yeah. They have to in order to uh, for the dead to in Christ uh, will rise first. They have to. Yeah. And you think about it, okay, so so what what happened and and the precursor to this when Jesus was when Jesus um uh when he said it's finished, okay, he died on the cross and then uh the rock split, but he said it's finished, okay. There was an earthquake. What happened? There were several that rose from the dead. Yes. Yeah, there were many people who rose from the dead. You know, that's a foreshadow. So it's the same. It's going to wind up being similar to that. You know, and you know, did they stay wandering around in Jerusalem? Yes, I know. That's all in there. It's in the Bible. Yeah. That's what the Bible says. So when the okay, so when the rapture happens, those that are gone, my brother, mm-hmm. he's there. His he will to rejoin. be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Right. So immediately they go to go be with him. Okay. So he's yeah. he's there, and then when this happens, he's gonna come back to a body or get a new glorified body or you know we don't know. Honestly, I'm not going to be dogmatic about any of it. Okay. Because, yeah, the thing about it. Well, I'm just trying to understand, like he's going to get a new body, but what are we going to have? We in our body, are, we are still in our body? Or yes. We just, do you see where I'm going with yeah, that? Yeah, no, you're still in your body. I'm still in my body. Yeah, you, you do not, when you're rapture, you don't leave your body behind. Yeah, your body gets busy. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they're coming to get theirs. I mean, they're coming to get theirs. We're going to take ours with us. Uh, and we're going on to Jerusalem and see about yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. Be I got or Elijah. I'll get some Yeah, you will be the best you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let me give you another passage. Uh, This one is less known. Um, So Isaiah 26, 19 through 21, it says, Your dead shall live. Together with my dead body, they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in dust. For your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Come, which could also be translated vanish, my people. Enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. Please notice the difference in pronouns now from you and your to the inhabitants of the earth. Um, And for behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth. For their iniquity, the earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. So what he's saying basically is the dead living again, he's calling them forth and the people vanish and they enter into the chamber, the bridal chamber, Mm -hmm. right? And so that's where we go during the tribulation uh, period. 
Now, how long is that? Well, you have to know the Jewish wedding customs. And so that's another one of this part of this day. I mean, there's so much to this, you know, <laughs> right? It's like, wow. Um, this is a Jewish wedding. Uh, you can notice their kippahs and then the uh, chuppah, right? Yeah, I, I didn't say that right. You gotta get that in there. <laughs> okay, so the thing about it is there are 12 steps to a, Jew, a Jewish wedding. Everything that we are as the bride of Christ is in the Jewish wedding customs. Everything. Um, nothing out of the ordinary at all. It's all in it. In the Jewish wedding customs, the final steps were after the bride and groom had consummated the marriage, after there are seven in the chamber, because it was supposed to have a Shavua. What is a Shavua, guys? All right, it's a seven. It means seven, but it means a seven-year time period. It would be the same thing if I said a decade in English. We know, okay, that's not just ten. That's a ten-year time period, right? So that's what this is. The, uh, the bride would go into the chamber for a seven, a seven-year time period, according to the Jewish wedding customs. They would then go to the marriage supper and forever uh, be seen as one entity embodied in two persons. Well, it's seven days according to the, the wedding custom, but it means seven well, years. It was supposed to be. Okay, no person, the people weren't, we weren't rich enough to have seven years of a feast. Right. But God is, you know. Right. But for them, yes, they just had seven days. Yeah, it was days. seven days, but it was the foreshadow, meaning seven years. Yes. Yeah, for us. Yes. All right, um, so it will last for an entire seven, seemingly from the rapture when we're snatched away to Jesus' second coming in the marriage supper of the Lamb, which are both described in Revelation 19. In Revelation 19, we see in verse 7 that the church is no longer called the bride, but his wife. And that's the first time that that is ever said. Why? It's because the marriage has been consummated and Messiah and his wife are now ready to be presented to the world as one. That's, there's a lot there. Oh, very much. All of it has a lot there. I mean, you just yeah, want to camp out for a while. You know, yeah. we can't, but... <laughs> Well, Sorry. that's okay. In Revelation 19, it says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. All right. There is so much to this day, okay? So it's also the time of Jacob's trouble. So whenever, where you see this, this is known as the tribulation period. That's what this is. So you're talking a vast amount of time in this, in this day. Now, here's what I'm saying. Could it be the rapture? Yeah. 
I mean, it has very much indicators of that. But could it also be something else? Yeah, it could. And does God use the same appointment dates over and over? Yeah, he does. So I'm not saying anything has to be a certain way, right? <laughs> but I am saying this day has all of these meanings. That's what I'm saying. So the time of Jacob's trouble, who is Jacob? We've just been studying him. What was his name changed to? Israel. Israel. Okay. So could you also say the time of Israel's trouble? And it be the very same? Yes. So that's what this is about. Um, the reason why we have a tribulation period is to draw the Jewish people back to, to Messiah. To God, right? They and have to call for him as a nation. Right. And he will not come back he, until they he can come. Exactly. And we know that um, from Daniel chapter 9. Well, that's what they do on um, repentance. Well, Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of repenting. Right. They are repenting, and then they have the 10 days of awe is what they call it. They're the 10 holiest days of the year. They're repenting until uh, Yom Kippur. And that, they have to do that. I mean, they're supposed to do that, mm -hmm. even though it's kind of a religious type thing. But it's also, um, they got to do it, and they're doing it. Yeah. So they're coming together. We're really just coming from the biblical standpoint of it, mm -hmm. you know, not what they do today. Yeah. yeah. Now, let's look at this. The time of Jacob's trouble is the Jewish understanding of the seven-year tribulation period. And we see it in Jeremiah 30, verses 4 through 7. It says, Now these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Um, for thus says the Lord, We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, dread and not of peace ask now and see whether a man is even in labor with child so why do i see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor and all faces turned pale alas for that day is great so that none is like it and it is the time of jacob's trouble but he shall be saved out of it now I put this chart up here <laughs> that kind of helps us out. So you have the rapture. Do we know exactly how long it's going to be before the tribulation begins after the rapture? No, we do not. There is not an indicator for that. It would have to be instantaneously because no, Holy not. Spirit depart. No, no, no. He no, he does depart. not no, depart. That's right. He doesn't. He never departs. The church does. Yes. Okay. What it says in 1 Thessalonians, where you're talking about, where some people will say Holy Spirit departs, he never does. What no, it actually no. says in the Greek, he steps out of the way and lets him go through. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But when he does that, that has to be, by concept, the very beginning of the mm -hmm. tribulation mm -hmm. period. Mm -hmm. Because that whole seven years, we're not here. I understand that. You're we're not talking, the Savior. You're just talking about the feel-bad stuff. No. Right? I, no. 
What I'm talking about is, according to Daniel 9, verses 24 through 27, um, does anybody have, especially a New Living Translation, do you have that? Okay, I like the New Living Translation of that, because to me, that one is probably the most easily understood. I have four of you, what? Oh, Daniel 9, 24 to 27. Oh, 24 to 27? Yes. A period of 70 sets of seven has been decreed for your people and your holy city to to finish their rebellion, to put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision, and to anoint the most holy place. Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing, and a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with a flood, and war and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. The ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven. But after half this time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. And as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration, until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. All right, stop. One of the things, it tells you that this ruler, that is not the prince, but the ruler, he mm-hmm. is coming from the people who kill uh, Messiah, okay, mm-hmm. and, and destroy the city of Jerusalem. Who destroyed the city of Jerusalem mm-hmm. and killed Messiah? It was the Romans, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's like a revived Roman Empire, is what people are looking for, and that's they get it from here. But what is what is the time clock starts with this event? It's in uh, verse twenty-seven, I believe. What time? The time clock. Mm-hmm. The ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven. So whenever is, that treaty starts, that's when it starts. That's the time clock for the Jewish people. So that's when the tribulation period when the right ends. No. It could be very close. It could be very close. But it's not. But we don't know. Yeah. But whenever the treaty goes, that's the time clock yeah. beginning, according to Daniel. You know, the enemy the enemy doesn't let calamities go to waste, though. He'll work quickly. Yeah. As quickly yeah. as he can. But I'm just saying, that's where we know the time clock starts. And when you know the time clock has started, whether people know it or not, oh, my goodness, you could mark it off the calendar. Because God is so telling you, okay, so it's going to be for seven years, and at the middle of it, then it's going to be this abomination of desolation, right? And so that's when the great tribulation begins. So, and okay, so see the three and a half years? Mm-hmm. He goes so far as to tell you, okay, yes, it's three and a half years. Then he says it's 42 months, and then he says it's 1,260 days. You can count it down. Okay. In this, Daniel, the ruler will make a treaty with the people. Mm-hmm. Jesus 
Oh. No. Mm-mm. No. Um, it's talking about the ruler, and that is describing the Antichrist. Oh. And it's from the revived Roman Empire. And then it says, and he will make a treaty with, um, sometimes it will say the nations. Um, I would have to look that word up in Hebrew, but I bet you uh, it's goyim. Uh, and what goyim is, or goyim, is uh, the nations. So with the rest of the world. Uh, that would be Israel with the rest of the world. Which branch of the Roman Empire? See, that's just it. I think it's the other one. I do too. Most of the it time. Well, so there. <laughs> you just love doing that, I don't do. you? I, I know do. you do. Oh, you know. I know, I know. So the Roman Empire, when you're looking at Daniel. Because people think of the Pope. You oh, know, yes. When you. All right, so in Daniel, over and over, you've got the two dreams, and they're the same nations, and it's, you know, it, and I know some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, but in Daniel chapter 2, it's got the um, statue with the different metals, right? The head of gold and uh, the shoulders, <coughs> chest of silver. Um, then there's bronze and then iron, and then the feet are iron and clay. All right, all of those are the same nations as are found in Daniel um, 7, where it talks about the different beasts, right? Um, In Daniel 2, it's man's view of these nations. They're pretty. They're they're these metals that go from, you know, the best down to the, the least. Well, God sees them as beasts, in Daniel 7, they're the same thing. Um, what they are is, which we probably don't even need all this, but the the head is Babylon, uh, the next is Medo-Persian, the next is Greece, uh, the Greek Empire, um, and then after that you've got the Roman Empire, and then finally the revived Roman Empire that is um, both the iron and clay uh, or if you're looking at the other one, then it's this multi-beast that, you know, it doesn't really have an animal of what it is. It's just a beast. But the thing about it is the Roman Empire, it grew so large that they ended up putting it in two different ways. It had two capitals. It had Rome, Italy, and then it also had Constantinople, named after the emperor. Um, Constantinople finally became Istanbul, Turkey. So the Roman Empire never was defeated. It fell from within, but it has offshoots that continue and they're still around today. And according to Rome, that is the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, and that is continuing. And then you had the uh, Ottoman Empire that came out of Istanbul. And so that would be the Muslim people, the Muslim empire. So um, there are lots of indicators. And a lot of people have been looking at the Catholic Church, but I think that there are a lot more that point to the Muslims, um, Islam. Well, the picture that John saw in Revelation indicates yes. it's the other. 
And that's where the Antichrist is going to come from? Mm -hmm. And honestly, if you look at Islam's, um, uh, their beliefs of end times, they mirror ours, except their characters are the opposite of ours. Like our Antichrist is their Muslim Messiah. And then our false prophet is their understanding of their Jesus that they call Isa. And then our Jesus who is coming back as our Jewish Messiah is their Antichrist, Al-Dajjal. It's, it's completely the opposite. It's pretty clear. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is. But that, that is what they believe. And you might think, oh, well, that's not that big a deal. But when all the Christians are taken out, that's a third of, uh, a third of the population of the planet call themselves a believer. Well, if they're all taken out in the rapture, what's left is one in five people right now call themselves a Muslim. So thank you. We couldn't leave that out. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> ah, other scriptures describing this time of trouble, right? The tribulation period. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. There is so much to all of this. There really is. Um, trying to do an overview. But Isaiah 13, 6 through 8, wail for the day of the Lord. And that's what it's called over and over throughout the scriptures, the day of the Lord. Um, sorry. What? What is? The, the tribulation period. Okay. Yes, I'm sorry. Thank you. Um, is at hand. It will come as a distraction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will be limp. Every man's heart will melt, and they will be afraid. Pains and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. And what I have in the picture here is that this not like uh, get beyond you. It's the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Uh, pop blah, blah, blah. Apocalypse. Whatever. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, um, you have the first, and here is what they represent. If you're looking at the book of Revelation, they represent the rise of the Antichrist throughout the, the tribulation period. So he first comes in peace. He's a white horse, but he has no arrow. And now in this picture, he looks like he has something, but he doesn't have an arrow because he's coming in peace, even though he has a bow. Mm -hmm. She has this question, but I want to ask it. Um, <laughs> so is the Antichrist coming before Jesus? Or don't try? No. Oh, no, wait a minute. Okay, you're talking about the rapture? Is he going to come before the rapture? Yes. He is most likely alive. Right. Most likely, yeah. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is um, there, there, and see, that's just it. In every generation, there has been someone who could be the Antichrist. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, People said Trump. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that. <laughs> But the thing is, is um, I mean, you can look at past generations. 
Yeah. And and see, there was one that was so evil that came out against the Jewish people. Look at Hitler, you know, and Himmler um, against the Jewish people during World War II, right? That would be kind of considered like that. Okay. Um, like the dress rehearsal. A dress rehearsal every time because the enemy does not know right. when Jesus is coming. So he's trying to have someone ready in every generation. Does that make sense? Someday. All right, so in the tribulation period, though, once that treaty is going, right, that the time clock starting, then here, the first three and a half years, the Antichrist is going to come in peacefully and take over for the first three and a half years. Of the tribulation. Uh-huh. Of the seven-year period. Yes. Okay. So the first half. And so then after that, then you've got the red horse, and the red horse is war, Right? Okay. And then the next is uh, famine. The black horse is famine because they're, they're running out of food. They're getting a whole day's wage to, to just get bread for the day. Okay. And then finally, back behind it is the pale horse and its death. And Hades is following right behind it, is what it says. So and, then, it, and then Jesus comes after. Yes, Jesus comes after um, all of that. Yes. To rule and to reign. Okay. And stops this joker. So we're raptured. And then people are like, oh, we were wrong. <laughs> but they're having to deal with this exactly. at the same time. So they're yes. having to choose again. Yes. Mm-hmm. They are having to choose. Because during that time, too, they take away, uh, you have to decide to take the moment. Or not. Okay. Now, think about this. We've had all of this time. Oh, now you got to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. Yeah, no, no, you I'm have to. <laughs> so, I'm going to if you don't. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so the thing is, is <laughs> and if you're looking at Daniel, Daniel is a key to end time prophecy. Right. He's, he is telling us when things are going to occur, right? And what people call it is Daniel's gap because the church age is not there. And so what are we? We are Daniel's gap. We are the church age. If you look at Romans 11.25, what it says is that... Um, the eyes of the Jewish people have been blinded for a time until the fullness of the Gentiles mm-hmm. has come to pass. And then what it says is their eyes, where he's going to start opening their eyes. And then after that, it says, and all Israel will be saved. And that's when they'll cry out. That's when they will cry out as a nation of Jesus. Yes. And, and the thing is, is what it says. No, we will come with him. No, well, yeah. Because what it says in Revelation 19 that we come with him, but we, we don't actually fight. don't fight. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And the reason why we know that is because of uh, Isaiah 63. It's a sister verse to Revelation 19. It tells you um, exactly where is he going to come. And it is not what people have thought. Isaiah 63. 63. Mm-hmm. Isaiah 63 is a script. It's a sister passage to Revelation 19, and it tells you that he has come to Basra, 
Uh, and Basra, when we think of Basra, we think of Iraq. That is not this Basra. It's not even spelled that way. It's B-O-Z-R-A-H. And Basra in Hebrew means a sheep pen. It's Petra. Its Greek name is Petra. Its Hebrew name is Basra. And so, um, I mean, we could, we could turn there. Isaiah 63. I remember I had this Jewish rabbi, that Messianic Jewish rabbi, and I was like, I've got to learn something from this man. I'm not going to let him go. He was giving me every signal that he wanted to go, and I was not caring. <laughs> I wanted to learn from him. <laughs> Is that Ken Gibbs? It was. It's Ken Gibbs, yeah. Yeah, I was like, no, I want to learn from you. And uh, so he gave me this, and then he left. <laughs> and so I had to figure it out. It was a Canesville when we had that Seder, is what it was. Yeah. All right, so look at Isaiah 63. I'm going to start in verse 1. All right, everybody there? Isaiah 63, verse 1. And I'm in the New King James because that's just what I've got with me. All right, so it says, Who is this who comes from Edom, which is southern Jordan today, with dyed garments from Basra, right? This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. And then he answers, I, who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Now, who's going to answer, I'm mighty to save and righteous? Okay, right? All right, look at this. Look in verse 2. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? Now, over and over and over and over, the language that is used for the end time things is always the winepress, He's trampling the grapes, you know, wrath and all this. It's telling you the main harvest that comes in the fall is grapes. He's telling you it's going to happen in the fall. <laughs> okay? You just have to understand the language of what he's saying. Okay, now look. Then in verse 3 it says, I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the people's no one was with me, for I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. I looked, but there was no one to help, and I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation for me, and my own fury, it sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury, and brought down their strength to the earth. Now, go to Revelation 19. Now, you know, earlier we were talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb. So that's in verses um, 6 through 10, right? So right after that, then we've got uh, starting in verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. Okay, you remember the first time Jesus, what did he ride? A donkey. What does a donkey represent? 
Yes. Humble. Uh, when a king comes in on a donkey, he is saying, I'm coming in peace. Yep. Right? When this one, when he comes in on a horse, Concrete. he's saying, I'm coming in to conquer and for war. Right? The Messiah been David. It, it, this is when this is, yes. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written on him uh, that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Okay, whose blood is it? It's not his own blood. No. The, 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 the enemies. It's the enemies. The ones that he was conquering, right? Well, what we just saw in Isaiah 63, he said, and I have stained all my rope. Okay, verse 3. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. So that's where the blood came from, right? All right. So, um, and the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Well, that would be us, because remember, that's the righteous saints, those. Uh, now, out of his mouth goes a, short, a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So again, wine press. What time of year? In the fall. Because those are the feasts that he's going to be fulfilling. And that is the harvest of the Feast of Tabernacles, right? In the fall feast. So pattern keeping even then. It, all of it. All of it. If we were studying Armageddon, it talks about the birds were coming and eating their flesh. There are the spring feasts. They come and uh, they migrate. And then they migrate again in the fall, you know, when uh, Israel is between, there's, it's like a three-leaf clover. You have Europe over here, you have uh, Asia, and then you have Africa, and Israel's right in the middle of all three. And so you have migration patterns going certain times of the year. And so it's telling you when things are happening. Which ones are the migration feasts? Uh, well, it, it, they come, they go in the spring and in the fall. Uh, but mainly for this, it will be in the fall. Because every indicator is telling you that. I feel like y'all are going to leave with a whole lot more questions than you came in with. <laughs> but that's not bad. It just is. Yeah. We'll be you, you've gone so far down the rabbit hole, I mean, you're not going to talk about the mark now, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so does, does that on his thigh mean he has a tattoo of his name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, a tattoo on his thigh? It does not say that. Does it have written on his thigh? Yes, it does say that. I, I, <laughs> Which means it could be on the clothing on his thigh. Yeah, it could. I'm not going to be dogmatic on any of that because just wondering. Yeah. Okay. Right. You know, I no, mean, if we're going to no, keep no, 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 no. Zephaniah. Zephaniah 1 14 through 16. The great day of the Lord.
Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. So, how does all this apply to the Feast of Trumpets? I was literally about to ask that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I know, because we have went around the circle, had we? <laughs> yeah. Um, so Kevin Howard and Marvin Rosenthal answer in this way. The Feast of Trumpets is Israel's dark day. It occurs at the new moon when the primary night light of the heavens is darkened. Israel's prophets repeatedly warned of a coming dark day of judgment. They knew it is the day of the Lord, that terrible period of time at the end of this age when the Lord will pour out his fiery judgment. The day of the Lord will be a time when the Lord pours out his wrath, not only upon Israel's enemies, but upon Israel herself to bring her to repentance and into the new covenant. That prophet Amos spoke of this dark day of judgment. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be a darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or as though he went into the house, leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Uh, it is not very. Uh, is it not very dark with no brightness in it? The Hebrew prophet Zephaniah uh, penned the ominous warning: "The great day of the Lord is near. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress." a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet. All right. <sighs> There's more, <laughs> believe it or not. Rosh Hashanah is also the day of judgment, right? So it's the opening of the books and the opening of the gates. The ten days of awe, starting with the Feast of Trumpets and ending with Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, are the most solemn days in the whole Jewish year. During these days of awe in Judaism, it's believed that every year on this day, the heavenly court is in session. The books are opened. God looks over every person's account to see how he took care of his investment in them. The trial lasts ten days until the Day of Atonement. Their life is placed on the ballot scales. The trial image captures the sense of one's life in someone else's hands. Okay, so let's talk about that. Yeah, you know what? Every single one of us would be found wanting. Every single one. But you know what? Praise God, we have given our life to Jesus and he has transferred his righteousness to us. Amen? And that's what they're lacking in that understanding. I know. <laughs> it's so frustrating. I know. <laughs> they have 10 days to repent and amend their ways during this time before the judgment is set and the books are closed on Yom Kippur. Everyone in the world passes along the heavenly judge like troops in review. The sentence is then meted out during the following days and year. It's not hard to see this very Jewish concept of judgment throughout the Old and New Testament with, this, uh, with their Jewish writers. Here are just a few, and from our new perspective, 
it will make much more sense. So 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. First Corinthians 3, each uh, one's work, all believers in this one, so there are no unbelievers with this one, will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Uh, yet so is through fire. And that's when our works will be either hay, wood, and stubble, where they'll be burned up, or they will be gold, silver, and precious stones. So we want our things to, um, the things that we have done to have been the will of God, and we've fulfilled his purpose that he had for us. And that will remain. Daniel 7, 9 through 11. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. All right, so look at this. I highlighted there are 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. Why? What is significant about 10,000? That's the highest they knew. Mm -hmm. At this time, that was the highest number they knew. So they're saying it's the highest number we know times the highest number we know is how many stood before God. That's a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's more than they could ever count. Yeah. And then Revelation 20, 11 through 12 says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The thing about this in particular, Jesus is the only way of salvation. If they have put their faith in him, then they are in the book of life. If they have not put their faith in him, then their deeds are looked at, looked in the books, and they are judged according to the law. Because that's the only other way they can be saved. But the thing is, is none of them can be saved that way, right? Because we're desperately in need of Jesus as Savior. Because if we don't choose him, we choose the law and we can't keep it. All right, and so we come to the hidden day. And so this is a picture of Petra. There is a reason for that. As the Lord's great wrath and judgment comes on those who have shed the innocent blood of the martyrs, he will hide the Jews away in the mountainous wilderness in Basra, which is now known as Petra. 
in Jordan today. Revelation 12, 6 even tells us how long. It will be 1,260 days. That's that last three and a half years, right? 42 months, same thing. This is like their 40 days of preparation, except this, since this is the final judgment, they are given even longer to repent. This is spoken of throughout scripture, as we'll see in Revelation 12 and 19. Um, this is a time when Israel will want to be hidden away. Zephaniah 2.13 Gather yourselves together. Yes, gather uh, together, O undesirable nation, before the decree is issued or the day passes like chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you. Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. It will be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Do you know in Matthew 24, uh, that's talking about the second coming, and uh, Jesus, he says to the disciples, uh, you have read from the prophet Daniel. And I love that he's calling Daniel a prophet because at that time they weren't believing that he was because he was too accurate. But the thing about it is, he was saying, like you have read in Daniel, flee to the mountains when you see these things coming upon you. And they knew which mountains he was talking about. He was talking about here because of the Old Testament scriptures. In Psalm 27, 5, for in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle. He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock, which is what Petra even means. What do you mean he was too accurate? In Daniel chapter 11, uh, he gives some prophecies that are so extremely accurate that the Jewish people read them afterward, and they were saying there is no way that somebody could have written that because it's too detailed before the fact. And so they thought that um, someone had written it after the fact and put Daniel's name on it. Uh, they didn't believe. So they didn't read the book of Daniel. They didn't. Just like them. I, I know, <laughs> but that's what happened. And that's why Jesus is saying the prophet Daniel, you know. So he is proclaiming, yes, he is a prophet. It seemed um you know what, though? We're really not maybe, much different, though. Maybe it worked for whatever needs yeah, to be done. I know. Only those who are hidden by God will be able to withstand the time of trouble. In Revelation 6, 15 through 17, we see another group trying to hide, but not into repentance or with God's protection. Theirs is a much different ending. It says, and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne in the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? They're not able to stand because they haven't went to the place that they're supposed to. And so finally, we come to the coronation of the Messiah where he's crowned king. Huh? I was reading it. Oh, okay. 
Finally, Yom Teruah is called the coronation of the Messiah. One of the aspects of Yom Teruah is to crown God as our king. The shofar was seen not only as a call to stand trial before the judgment throne of God, but also to reaffirm God's sovereignty and kingship over the world. Judgment and kingship are closely uh, linked. With trumpets and the sound of a horn, shout joyfully before the Lord, the King. Let the sea roar in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands and let the hills be joyful together before the Lord. For he is coming to judge the earth with righteousness. He shall judge the world and the people with equity of rightness. It was a regular practice to enthrone the kings of Israel and Judah on the first of Tishri. There are four parts to the enthronement ceremony of a Jewish king. There was the giving of the decree that they would be crowned, the ceremony of the taking of the throne, the acclamation, and subjects come and pledge their allegiance to him. I love this picture. Okay, so this is the eastern gate, right? Right, and, when the eastern gate is below the ground, right? Yes, I'm about to show that. Oh, okay, sorry. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you see the gold dome over to the side, and it's the dome of the rock, right? Now, here's what I want you to notice, and that's actually even taking a little bit of an angle. Um, according to Ezekiel, Ezekiel is a very prophetic book um, from about Ezekiel 33, really, on. Uh, it is sequential, where a lot of them are not sequential. Ezekiel is sequential. Um, but the thing is, is it's telling you about Ezekiel's temple, um, the last temple, and that there is enough room beside the Dome of the Rock to build that because it won't have the um, other courts that the other temple had. Uh, like Herod's temple. So it will fit. Uh, and the thing with the eastern gate, if you went straight through there, then that's where the temple sat. So where the Dome of the Rock is, is not where the temple was because it doesn't go straight through uh, the gate. Um, now, what Rob is talking about, and it, what it says according to Zechariah, is that Jesus will come through the eastern gate to be crowned king. This is what it actually looks like if you're going from excavations. So you see what's on the top. Um, the real wall and the real gate is under the ground. So you don't even see that. It's always been underground? No. No, it's just been over the years, you know. Um, a lot of times, Jerusalem is this um, city that has been inhabited by um, people who overtook it and overtook it and overtook it. And what they would do is they would build over top of what the other had. And so that's what you see. You see the, the, the top of the earlier wall, you know, at the bottom. Uh, and then the real Golden Gate uh, or Eastern Gate is down under the ground, right? The thing that's uh, fascinating, and I know a lot of you know this, uh, Suleiman actually concreted up the Eastern Gate because he didn't want 
uh, the Messiah to be able to go through. And because he knew he was Jewish, then they also made a Muslim cemetery in front of it because that would make Jewish people unclean so they couldn't go into the temple. But it was also a common custom in that day when you conquered a people that you desecrated their belief system. Right, and he did. And that was that was par for the day. Yeah, and so can you see where the wall differences are sort toward the bottom? Uh, because that's the real wall that goes underneath. And then you've got the different kind. Um, yeah. They closed up the wrong gate. They did. They closed up the wrong gate. <laughs> I hate to ask this question, but how's he going to get in the bottom here? I mean, I know he's he got Well, okay, for one of the things, it's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Good question. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. There is a natural fault line mm -hmm. right there. And it goes, you know where it talks about in Zechariah? Um, it's either 12 or 14. It talks about that the Mount of Olives will be split. Uh, and the Mount of Olives is directly across. Uh, the Garden of Gethsemane is directly across from here. Um, but there's a fault line that will open it right up. Yeah, he doesn't need a fault line. No. no. I mean, he just came and like whooped the, you know, the jeebies out of everything. It doesn't. But he may use the fault line. <laughs> He has options, but that way. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> maybe, maybe he does stuff like that for us. Well, the thing is, okay, Jesus has to fulfill every bit of scripture because that's who he is. He has to fulfill it all. Now, here's the thing and he too, will. that we haven't considered, okay? It could be possible that, that during the time that the temple is recreated, there is this negotiation that takes place that actually winds up opening that back up again. Well, they'd have to dig it out. They would, yeah, right. And they would, have to, they like, would have to exhume a cemetery, yeah. right, a Muslim cemetery, and, and move whatever, but, but that could be negotiated. Well, in the same thing, it That's could be negotiated it. to build the temple right next to the Dome of the Rock and it'd be the ultimate thing of peace. Mm -hmm. You know, and that be part of the peace treaty. Could be. I mean, it's you know, be people have been theorizing for a long time, but the, the fact is we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah. All right. So, Yom Teruah's many names give us some much-needed insight into what exactly is going to happen to fulfill this, the first of the fall feast of the Lord. It has been given to us as a sign and an appointment to be kept. We may not know what year it will occur, but if we're keeping watch of a biblical calendar, then we can start to see God's hand moving, not in uncalculated ways, but on specific dates as an appointment is meant to be kept. So, I didn't really give you any answers, did I? Uh, because there's not any that I can really give you. Because, you know what? We know the spring feast, how he fulfilled them, because here we are 2,000 years later, and we can look back in history. These are things that are going to happen in the future, and we don't really know exactly how he's going to do it. So we're just looking at the pattern. 
We're looking at the patterns. That's exactly what we're doing. Thank you for listening to the Las Casas Community Church Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at Las Casas Community Church. Be sure to like, share, follow, and leave a review for our podcast. And as always, if you have any questions, please reach out to us. We'd be happy to answer those for you. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time.